Did you uh, notice who brought my podium out this morning? It's my boss, no big deal. What were you doing 20 years ago? I was, for the first time, meeting the woman who would later become my wife. We met out at the Cornerstone Music Festival outside of Bushnell, Illinois, literally in the middle of a cornfield. Does anybody remember the Cornerstone Music Festival? I was uh, struck by this college girl. She was a freshman, and I was a senior in high school. I grew up in that area. She was a freshman at Western, and she was starting to volunteer with my high school's Youth for Christ program. And uh, the first thing that went through my head, I, and I remember her standing there at Cornerstone wearing a bandana. She's got her hair in braids, soccer shorts. And I thought to myself, I'd like to get to know her. And uh, I worked quickly because a year later we went on our first date. <laughs> but not long after that, uh, this 18-year-old was planning a proposal. And remember, when I tell you how I planned to propose, that I was 18. I was, I was musical, uh, did a lot of theater, so I thought it would be fun to find a restaurant that offered karaoke and sing a goofy little song. I told you, don't laugh. Uh, so my plan was to, you know, plan my strengths. And, well, that all went south when I went to check on the venue uh, the night we had that uh, reservation. She didn't know any of this. And it must have been ladies' night and of a particular age group of ladies. And uh, it was back in the day when you could still smoke in restaurants because I walked in and the whole place was full of smoke. And I can't tell if it was the smoky haze or the color of their hair that told me what kind of group this was. And I thought, I don't know if this is going to work out. I don't know if I want the, our engagement memories to include memories of cigarette smoke and potentially a woman from across the room saying something like, oh, isn't that sweet? Give her a kiss, honey. I didn't want that memory a part of this moment. And so my plan was, was ruined. And I, I went back to uh, campus where we were supposed to have Bible study with her old college, college Bible study. And I ran up to her best friend and I said, can't do it. The restaurant is a mess. Uh, what do I do? And literally 20 seconds before we walked into Bible study, she just said, just do it here. If you know me at all, I like plans. And I don't do well when someone just gives me something on the spur of the moment, especially if it's, you know, like a performance or something important like that. And so the, the first half of the Bible study, I probably sweat through my shirt. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was thinking, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? I have no idea what the Bible study was on because I was focused on something else. Finally, I thought, this is a Bible study. Can I use Scripture? Gener uh, Genesis 2 says, it's not good for man to be alone. Okay, that's, that's it. That's my key. Now, how do I inject this into a Bible study that is not talking about Genesis? Well, the leader of the Bible study opened the door because he said, does anyone have any questions? I have a question. I'm hoping somebody might be able to answer for me. I was reading Genesis 2, 
And I got to, to 18, and, and it says, you know, it's, it's not good for man to be alone. And I look around the room, and everybody is like, oh, mm-hmm, yeah, what's, what's your deep theological question that we can help you with? And that's when I reached into my pocket, down on one knee, and asked her to marry me. And she said yes, and we ran off into the sunset. <laughs> no, we stood there awkwardly because that's when my plan ended. And... The leader, thankfully, notices this and said, would you like to leave? And so we awkwardly walked out, and I think we went to dinner. Uh, I don't even remember. So that's my engagement story. It has nothing to do with the sermon. I just needed to kill about five minutes, and I did that. Um, No, what's funny about my plan is knowing her now, uh, she would have hated plan A. She would absolutely have hated that. Probably would have said no. So to, to my benefit, that did not work out, and I had to think on the fly. Genesis 2.18. Let me read that for you. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, the context says this is a marriage verse, but it's much more than a marriage verse. It's about relationships. We are to be in relationship with him, and, but also we're to be in relationships with each other, his children, our family, the church. Because in Genesis 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We were created in his image. We were created for the capacity to have relationships. And so a core value for us at BCC is on the value of relationships. Relationships are our priority. Why are relationships our priority? Well, God made us to live in relationship with his family. We need each other. We are God's children made in his image, and we have to stick together. The Hebrew author in chapter 3, verse 13 says, But exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Without Christian family relationships, we'd soon become discouraged in this fallen world. And we'd lose hope. Why do you think there are so many scriptures written by Christian brothers before us about perseverance, about hope, about sticking together? Picture two siblings all grown up. And one says to the other, hey, I am having a rough season. Life is hard. I'm feeling lost. I just don't know what to do. And the other sibling says, hey, it's it's okay. Number one, I'm here. And remember what dad said. Dad said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In the church family, we we need relationships so that we can remind each other what our father said so that he can be encouraging to us to continue through. Um, During my youth ministry days, I'm thinking maybe 10 or so years ago, Sanctus Real was a very popular band, and they put out a, 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 a title, a cover album called We Need Each Other. We need each other, fathers and mothers, sisters and brothers, friends and lovers. We are God's children, brothers and sisters, first and foremost, No matter what our relationships here on earth might be, whether you are married or father-child, you are brother and sister in Christ. 
It's through our relationships that we grow as disciples. Pastor Taryn sent me a quote from a book she's been reading, and normally I just ignore her because she reads a lot of books. <laughs> but this one was, was too good to ignore, actually. It was, it was good timing. She was thinking about me as I prepared this sermon, and, and so she sent me this. Uh, Robert Creech writes, Relationships become the place where our obedience is most deeply challenged. Relationship systems, whether family or church, consistently challenge our spiritual and emotional maturity. In so doing, they shape our character. Relationships are needed not only to encourage one another, but also to challenge us to continue to develop our character. And ideally, we're seeking to obey the Holy Spirit and develop Christ's character within us. God made us to live in relationship with his family. We ought to prioritize relationships also because God gave us a relational mission. Not that God needs us to accomplish anything, but his plan involves us, his family. He's directed us to go and make disciples. A very familiar passage, Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus told us to make disciples. How do we do that? Do you notice that wasn't a question that the disciples asked him? After they received that commission, go make disciples, not one of them said, okay, great. But how? They already knew how because Jesus had spent three years showing them how to do it in deep relationship with them. Jesus showed them by living relationally. Jesus said love one another over and over again, but he didn't just stop with his words. He did just that for, as a model for them and us. And Jesus gave his church a mission, and without relationships, we will fail to complete that mission. Relationships are the way we support and make possible the mission Christ gave us. Pastor Derek, two weeks ago, introed our BCC Values sermon series, and he used Acts 2, 42 through 47, and said that that's where we, we pulled the five values from. So I want to go there again. It's going to be a familiar passage, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and, all had, th and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What did the Lord do? He looked at his family and said, oh, look at my kiddos all loving on each other. Here's some more brothers and sisters. Bring them into the family too. Love on them. There's not one parent that looks at their kids when they're fighting and whining and says, oh, honey, let's have another. No, parents look at their whiny kids and say, what did we do? We, should, we were better off sticking with the pet turtle that we saw instead. 
Do you see the deep love and relationship in this passage? They started with Scripture. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And they devoted themselves to each other in deep relationship, supporting one another. Without loving relationships among us, we cannot carry out the mission Christ has given us. We were not called to grow our local churches by simply attracting all the Christians in town. We were called to grow God's family by loving each other so that so much that non-family members see that love and wish that they could be adopted into the family. And then we can deliver the good news and say, guess what? My dad wants to adopt you too. Come on in. Why are relationships our priority? Because discipleship happens best in the context of relationships. And that's our BCC big idea this week. Discipleship happens best in the context of relationships. Now, discipleship is one of those words that I feel like needs to find because it can be very broad and, and different people have different uh, thoughts going through their head when they hear that word. And so when you hear me say discipleship in this context, I'm talking about making new disciples, which includes evangelism, and strengthening disciples in the church for the purpose of transforming into righteousness, always seeking to be more and more Christ-like. Helping people become disciples. Well, what's a disciple? Our children's ministry actually has four little phrases that they define disciple by, and I think they're fantastically simple. So a disciple is someone who spends time with God, spends time with others, uses their gifts, and shares their story. So you as a disciple ought to be spending time with God, spending time with others, using your gifts, and sharing your story. And you need to be helping other disciples do those four things as well. How else would someone outside the church know God's love if we're not sharing our story? How else would we be supporting one another and, and building relationships that can withstand conflict and confrontation inside this family unless we're spending time with one another building those relationships? So discipleship, helping someone become and grow as a disciple who spends time with God others, uses their gifts and shares their story, all happens best in the context of relationships. And we saw this from Jesus himself, and we see it throughout the New Testament. And one of the more well-known examples, I would say, of relational discipleship in Scripture is with Paul and Timothy. And we have uh, letters and many, many words of encouragement from Paul to Timothy to really understand what their relationship is like. And if we look at 2 Timothy 1, we have a, a really nice uh, passage here that, that it describes what their relationship was like. Because Paul in Acts 16, I believe, met Timothy and said, hey, why don't you come with me? Uh, you be my apprentice. You, you join me and, and uh, I'll disciple you. And we're going to go along this missionary journey planting churches. And in Ephesus, he left Timothy to continue to grow as a leader and to develop that church. And in 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 14, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from the God and Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, 
as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to the, the holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Look at the relationships involved in discipleship here. Paul mentions Lois and Eunice, Timothy's biological grandmother and mother. They, they fed faith into Timothy. They raised him to know God. They used their God-given biological relationships to influence young Timothy and to raise him as we're all called to do. Parents and grandparents intentionally use the relationships you have with your children and grandchildren for the sake of their eternity. That is no one else can touch them like, like you can. No one else can influence them like you can because of that deep relationship that you have with them. And then we have the Paul and Timothy relationship, an adopted father, so to speak. Paul straight up calls Timothy his son, his beloved child, he says. He prays for him constantly. They've cried together. They cried together. Dudes don't cry together without a deep relationship, okay? Look at, the, look at the, the language that Paul uses here in his encouragement. Son, I wish I could be with you and be filled with joy. But since I can't be with you, let me encourage you with my words. Just look how intimate Paul gets with his words to encourage Timothy. You can't tell me that there wasn't a deep relationship there. Paul's love for Christ is overflowing into his relationship with those he disciples, and the result multiplied relational discipleship, just as Jesus asked his first disciples to do. In verse 13, Paul says, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. My prayer is that every disciple can say that to someone else at some point in your life, whether it be your biological children or a spiritual child. Follow the pattern of the sound words that I have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul's not saying I'm perfect. In fact, he 
Paul announced that he was the worst of all sinners. It's not about our perfection. It's about who we are, who we are about, and what we are trying to achieve, transforming into Christ and helping others do the same. Paul not only encouraged Timothy, but he instructs him to carry on that cycle of discipleship. And God will put in your life people who need to be built up, people who need a relationship with you because they need someone. We don't hear about Timothy's father, which is a little odd. His father was Greek. That's really about all we know. And maybe Timothy grew up without him, or maybe he wasn't a believer. Either way, Timothy did have his grandmother and mother, but Paul came in as that father figure, that older brother figure. Who in, you, who in your life can you adopt and raise up? Do you know how many people my age and younger would absolutely love to have a spiritual mentor? Someone to come alongside them and say, hey, I see something in you. I might have some encouragement to offer. Someone a little bit further down the, the spiritual journey. People come up to me asking me if I know of someone who can disciple them. Spiritual parents, the children in our congregation need you. Adopt someone. 2 Timothy 2.2, just a passage later, Paul says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That cycle of relational discipleship needs to continue. But it will die out with us if we don't prioritize relationships in this way. Relationships are our priority because God created us to be in relationship with his family, because God gave us a relational mission, and that mission, discipleship, happens best in the context of relationships. Now, a few weeks ago, Pastor Derek pointed out that the Quad Cities was number 15 on a list of most post-Christian culture cities. That's a list that we don't want to be on especially ranked number 15. And this is, he reiterated a few weeks ago, explaining post-Christian versus unchurched. And this is very important, so I, um, I want you to understand it, so I'm going to explain it again. In Barna's research, they categorized someone as post-Christian if they met nine of the following 16 criteria. Nine of the following 16. Let me just read those. Do not believe in God. Identify as atheist or agnostic. Disagree that faith is important in their lives. Have not prayed to God in the last week. Have never made a commitment to Jesus. Disagree the Bible is accurate. Have not donated money to a church in the last year. Have not attended a church uh, in the last six months. Agree that Jesus committed sins. Do not feel a responsibility to share their faith. Have not read the Bible in the last week have not volunteered at church in the last week, have not attended Sunday school in the last week, have not attended a small group in the last week, Bible engagement scale is low, have not read the Bible in the past week and dis disagree strongly or somewhat that the Bible is accurate, not born again. 
People who hit nine out of those 16 were labeled as post-Christian. So some of these people aren't just the unchurched who have never committed to Christ. Some of these people are people who call themselves members of a church. Some of these people used to be here in this room. And I don't read these, these, uh, this list to, to come across as judgmental or, or legalistic. I'm reading these from a broken heart because at some point, people in our own neighborhoods, in our own area, many have, have been once connected to a church, but for various reasons, whether they've been, been hurt by us or never truly connected through a, a deep relationship, seem to want, to want nothing to do with us or Jesus. But the good news is we have been given this time now to change that statistic, to make the Quad Cities go from 15 to 200. We can change that if we prioritize relationships in two ways, inside the church and outside the church. Let's not be that church that grows by attracting all the people from the other churches in town. Now, church transfer is going to happen. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with finding the right congregation to be a part of. But we have to be careful not to view that as overall church growth. That's not church growth. The church grows when someone outside God's family enters into the family. No matter what congregation he or she chooses to be a part of. So what do we do with this? How can we focus on inside church relationships and prioritize them? We've got to connect with each other. Uh, the last several weeks, last several months, I've been reflecting on our small group ministry here. And as the discipleship pastor, my, my responsibility as a pastor here is to make sure that we have opportunities, we collectively have opportunities to connect with one another in, and build those relationships. And I think one of the best vehicles for that is, is smaller groups. Now, let's take the concept of small groups and broaden it a little bit. Now, if we want to connect with one another in connection groups, rather than saying, hey, I go to church with 400 other people, I see them occasionally, I'm good. Let's break that down a little bit. The bigger the church gets, the smaller we have to think. Let's think groups. Let's connect. So we still have our, our small groups. The traditional small group meets together most likely on a weekly basis for discussion about the scriptures and studying together and praying for one another, checking up on the kids, seeing how they're doing. And then we also need to connect on other levels. So let's broaden this concept of connection groups. And I met a guy who is fairly new to BCC who told me that he loves playing board games. And not just like regular board games like Taboo, the board games that I like, you know, understand. Like the nerdy board games. Like the board games that Pastor Derek likes to play. The board games that take like a, an hour to explain all of the rules to. And then by the time all the rules are explained, your mind is so melted that you don't even know how to start the game. And those types of board games. If, though, if that is you, boy, we've got a group for you because we've got a connection group that meets second Thursday of every month for men in the cafe. 
and he, all he wants to do is play board games. Now, you can come and play cards with me or play Taboo or Uno uh, with me, but then you can also graduate to the, the, to the real board game table and play all the strategy games that I don't know how to play, that Pastor Derek continues to make me to play. Um, I love you, man. Um, we're still working on our relationship. So... <laughs> So we have, we have connection groups that are built around things that we just like to do. We don't open the Bible at, at the men's board game night. And you know what? That's okay. I just bought a kayak. I'm learning how to kayak. And so for those of you who have kayaks, if you want to get them out of your garage and actually use them, I would love to practice with you. I need people to go kayaking with. And I'm actually thinking maybe next season in the springtime that... That could be a connection group that, that I help lead. We'll get together every once in a while. Actually, someone came up to me after the 9 o'clock service and said, Hey, I have a pond. you want to come practice at my pond? I'm like, Yes, that's awesome. I was so excited. So I need somebody to go with me. I went out to Lost Grove Lake the other day, and the 20-mile-per-hour winds caught me off guard, and it was spinning me around. Someone needs to teach me how to keep it straight. Let's connect over things that we like to do. Let's build those relationships. Also, let's support one another. There's, there's a support type of group that I want to get started as well. And I know all small groups support one another. But what about temporarily forming groups to gather people together in a time of grief? We've had that here. We've had a grief support group, and it has meant the world to those people. Divorce care. Financial struggles, parenting. Let's, let's connect through groups in deepening relationships and studying Scripture together. Let's connect through groups with social things that we like to do. Let's connect through seasons of life that we're in that we might need a little bit of support with. We try to prioritize relationships from birth to adult here at BCC. Our children's ministry, Pastor Taryn strives to uh, get the Kid City rock stars as consistent as possible so that the kids can form a relationship with them. If any parent has tried to drop their toddler off on any given Sunday, that might be a challenge. But when they know Rich Tubbs or Tim Snyder, boy, they just run to those guys because they have a relationship with them. In our, in our junior high and high school ministry, which actually is uh, small groups are starting tonight at The Blend, 5.30. So if you're a teenager, find a small group tonight with Pastor Barry. We've got a men's retreat coming up. And for a lot of reasons, we had to move from, from the camp to right here in this building. So we're having a one-day event for men. That'd be a great opportunity for you to connect this Saturday. October 2nd, 8 to 4. Sign up today. We have now concluded the commercial uh, portion of the sermon. <laughs> but even with those connection groups, let's break that down even further. I'm in a small group with seven people. And once in a while, four of us will get together for dinner. I'm pretty sure the other three don't mind. Once in a while, I'll get together with, or two people will get together and work out together for some reason. 
But it's helped them develop that relationship beyond what we do, even in a weekly small group. Invite others in from the outside. Remember, that was just about starting relationships within the church. How about starting relationships outside the church? Invite those people into those things. Stop being so afraid to let your faith be known. 1 Peter 3.15, I'm going to paraphrase here because I don't have it written down. But 1 Peter 3.15 says something to the effect of always be prepared to give an answer for your hope. And someone years ago gave me the insight on that passage. It says, live in such a way they ask. I love that insight. We've, we've got to stop compartmentalizing our faith. We, we are so used to, and it's easy to do this, living in life in two pieces. We have our church stuff, and we have our everything else stuff. I'm a Christian because I, I do church, I do small group, and I serve. But sometimes that doesn't make us any more different than any other organization. We compartmentalize these things out of our whole lives, and that cannot be. Faith cannot be compartmentalized, because if we try, then it becomes false faith. If your non-Christian friends don't see your faith, then you don't really have a, a deep relationship with them. And I would also say we may want to reflect on the authenticity of our faith in that situation as well. Relationships are our priority. Our core mission of the church to make and strengthen discipleship, disciples requires us to prioritize relationships. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to have a relationship with you. It is only through your glory and grace that we have that opportunity. We thank you that you've adopted us into your family. And Father, as we go throughout our week, I pray that we would prioritize relationships inside this family with our brothers and sisters. And I pray that we would prioritize the relational mission that you've given us, that we would use the relationships that we have inside and outside the church to bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.